0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Go ahead and open up your Bibles or turn on your devices to uh, Colossians three. Colossians three. excited about things are moving on we've got our our meetings coming up uh as a church, midweek meetings in March just to prepare for our transition and our move. Uh, those will be a combination of both kind of vision and some real practical stuff too. Like one night we will tour the building. So that's, you know, immensely practical. Um, so it's exciting. So be praying and please, uh, if you can, clear your calendar. We don't, we've never done midweek meetings in the history of our church. So in ten and a half years, I don't think we've ever done anything like this. So it's unusual, uh, but it's really with a purpose so that we can land uh, prepared to uh, welcome folks and uh, serve folks who might join us in worship. So, an exciting time. Okay, uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 15 and 16. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were in, called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Father, we tonight come to you and we just confess we need to be taught from your word. We need truth that will sustain us. We need truth that will free us. We need truth that will enable us to encounter uh, the Lord Jesus Christ here tonight. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to your word tonight. We ask that you would give our hearts a willing, uh, just a willing attitude to follow you. And we pray that you would instruct us tonight about how we can bring you glory uh, through Our worship together. So speak to us tonight. We are listening. Give us hearts to respond, to be hearers and doers of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series called The Gathering, and what we've covered so far is that when we gather as a people to worship, we gather under God's Word, the authority of God's Word. We are uh, our our, uh, services are guided by God's word and filled in content with God's Word. Uh, as well, and then last week, we spoke about gathering in his presence that the Holy Spirit is present with us and in a unique way among us as we gather for worship so we 've talked about being under his word in his presence, um, and the next number of weeks, I want to talk about how can we respond to him for his glory and uh, so tonight we 're going to talk about singing, singing you know most americans i can 't speak for the whole world, but most Americans. Uh, who aren't musical performers, have very few occasions to gather with people and sing. I mean, what we just did for 20, 25 minutes, whatever it was, it just doesn't really happen anywhere. Where in your week prior to tonight did you do something like you just did? We, we don't gather and sing. It occasionally happens. It's someone's birthday birthday. And everyone gathers around them and sings, happy birthday. So it happens there. It happens uh, at sporting events when we rise for the national anthem. And usually the singing is tepid, pretty weak. It's not an easy song to sing. And uh, so it's usually some, some kind of response, unless it's like a really amazing singer, then you just listen. But if it's like the local person they brought in that's not that great, then you sing along to, to, to drown them out. <clears throat> then, if you're a baseball fan, at the seventh inning, we all stand and sing together, a whole stadium, take me out to the Ball Game." And if you go to baseball games, you'll notice that that song is sung with tremendous fervor compared to the national anthem. And I don't know why that is. Seven innings of people drinking may contribute to the singing, and it's a much easier song to sing than the national anthem. So certainly, that would be an example. But I mean, it's not a long list of examples. Where else do you gather with people? Where do you gather with people for the purpose of singing? Those are just kind of, you know, that's not the purpose. You don't go down to the stadium and buy a ticket so you can sing the national anthem. Hey, what would you, what would you think if you had a friend who said, hey, why don't you guys come on over Friday night? Oh, sure. What, what are you doing? Well, we're just getting some friends together, and we're going to sit around in the living room and sing. Uh, like karaoke? No, no. Group sing-along. What do you think? You know, it's going to be swell. Uh, You would just say, you know, I think I'm busy. I I think, I don't know what, (laughs) got to walk my fish that night. I don't know, something I've got to do, I I feel certain I'm busy that night. It is just unusual for us. We like to hear good singing. We may individually sing in the shower or in the car to songs that we like. But we just don't gather with people and sing. And for that reason, the biblical command to sing with God's people is, frankly, in this culture, an odd experience to the uninitiated. And if you're new, you may be saying, well, yeah, I, I, I kind of get a witness. Yes, amen. I sat through 20 minutes, and that was awkward for me. And it's awkward because it's just unusual. If, you, if you're a church kid, you grew up in the church, and then it's like, it's like breathing to you. But if not, you, we must realize that what we just did here is a unique experience, at least in American culture. But God says sing. And the Psalms, uh, we find throughout the Psalms the command to sing. God, in essence, says, it pleases me. God could, have, God could have created any way for people to worship. But he says, it pleases me when you sing to me, even if you don't have a voice Even if you don't have rhythm, it pleases God when his people sing to him. God says, it pleases me when you sing about me as a group, all together with passion and thinking about what you're singing from your heart. God, regardless of what we think about it, God loves it. Did you know that 85 times in the Old Testament, people are exhorted to sing praise to God? 85 times they're ex- exhorted to sing praise to God. And tonight I want to talk about why do we sing? I've never taught on this. Uh, it's not commonly taught on that, that I'm aware of, at least in the messages I listen to and the books I read. Um, it's not commonly taught on, but it's, it's all over the Scripture. And because for us it's culturally unusual to gather with a group of people and sing, it's not culturally unusual to gather with a group of people and listen to a singer or a band play, and that's my concern. That's common in the culture, and so that's what church feels like oftentimes. But that's not what God has in mind when he talks about, he didn't say gather and listen to singing. But he calls us to actually, well, implicitly we're to listen to others, but he calls us to ultimately sing. And that's why I'm looking at the verse we're looking at tonight. Now, we could survey the Bible tonight, but what I decided to do was really look at a single verse, and I'm going to look at its parallel because Ephesians has a parallel verse where Paul says almost the exact same thing. Uh, So I'm going to look at that in a little bit. But I want to talk about this verse, 3.16 is what we're going to look at. Now here's the context of chapter 3 of Colossians. The context is that Paul is reminding them that they have a new life. Chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So Paul's saying, hey, look, you died with Christ and your sins were forgiven. You've been raised with Christ. That means you've got a new life. And here's what the new life looks like. So in verse 5, he says, put to death things that are earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurities. He goes through this list and says, because you have a new life, don't live like your old life. So turn away from the kind of things that characterize your old life and then start living the new life I've given you uh, by the Spirit. So in verse 12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. So he says, Okay, don't do the, these kind of things, but as a new believer in me, someone risen with me, live this kind of life. And he talks about most of these things have to do with how we relate with one another. So be compassionate, be kind. He talks about meekness, patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another. So relate with one another in a new way. He talks Talks about forgiveness. Forgive other people. Verse 13, fourteen, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love that he says perfect harmony. And two verses later, he talks about singing. A subtle pun for those who were awake there, as he gives us that. So he says, live in harmony together with one another. Verse fifteen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body. So the immediate context is unity. You have a new life, so let the life of Christ live through you so that you relate to other people in a way that recognizes your one body. So be forgiving, be compassionate, be patient, because you're in this together. You are one people in perfect harmony together. And then we get to our verse, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So he's talking to the church. We already had a whole sermon on the word of Christ how the, how the word uh, affects us uh, in the church. Um, so I'm coming to that in a minute. So give me, give me please, just give me a minute on that one because I'm going to explain that in a second. Thanks. Uh, so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is the message of Christ. Um, it is the truth of scripture that is centered on the message of the gospel. So Um, The word of Christ is the message about Jesus that's found in the Bible. He's saying take all of Scripture um, and, and let the Scripture take up residence in you. Let the Scripture dwell in you and let the Scripture dwell in you richly. So let God's word dwell in his people, take up residence in his people richly, so that it's not on the surface, so that it's not shallow, but so that it's deep and it's profound. In other words, he's saying the church is not a self help club where you come and have positive things uh, that are just general wisdom from the culture and toss in a few verses. He's saying, no, when you come together, the word of Christ must dwell in you and must penetrate, must dwell in you in a very rich and meaningful way. It's substantive. The message of Christ is substantive. He is to be with us. Uh, he is with us through his word. We gather under his word, and his word is about Jesus. So, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? How do we do that? Well, he says that next. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so how does the word dwell in us? Well, he says a couple things, doesn't he? If you look back at it teaching, admonishing one another, and that's kind of one thing together, and then he says singing. Psalms. So there's teaching and singing. Teaching is instruction from the word. Admonishing is warning not to go astray of the word or not to disobey the word. So one's kind of a positive, one's kind of negative, but it's both the same. It's God's word brought to bear in our lives. So I'm just going to say teaching as a shorthand. So he says there's teaching and then there's singing. Are those two ideas or one? Well, if you look in your text, uh, I'm reading in the ESV. I'm going to show you another one in just a second. But in the ESV, Which I'm reading in it says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, comma, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now you'll notice it does not say and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It does not say and there's not a separation necessarily as if it's two ideas, so some translations translate it differently. Um, and I didn't make clear, Christy, when to put that up, so if we could put it up now. This is the New American Standard. I'm Sorry, I didn't make that clear to her earlier, so she heard me read the verse and put it up there, which was the right thing to do. But now, this is a different translation than what I was reading. Thank you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you see how this is, they're both, they're both reasonable translations. But since there is no and linking them, and I'm going somewhere with this, but since there is no and linking them, the New American Standard connects them. The New American Standard says that admonish one another, teach and admonish one another with psalms. That the means of teaching and the means of admonishment is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing with thankfulness in our heart. Uh, another reason I think this is probably what's in view rather than the ESV translation is because this mirrors what Paul says in uh, Ephesians. So he doesn't say teaching and uh, admonishing and singing, but look how he says it in Ephesians. So here's Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, it's a parallel passage. And he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at what he says addressing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord with your heart. Same thing. What are you supposed to do? Address one another with these songs. Addressing here is parallel to the teaching and admonishing uh, in the Colossians verse. So, is it one idea or two? Uh, I, I think it's probably a single idea that teaching and admonishing, let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms or by singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, if that's not the case in Colossians, it's still true because it's what he says in Ephesians. You're addressing one another, there's a horizontal dimension which most of us have never thought of, that when we're in here, we're singing to one another. And I don't ever do that thing. Look at your neighbor in the eye and sing, I love you with the love of the Lord. That's like the most uncomfortable. If you've not, if you're a new Christian, God bless you. They don't do that anymore. And you have lo- you have, you have missed the most awkward moment. But in more than one church, we used to sing the song, I love you with, the, well, I won't sing it, I love you with the love of the Lord. And I have been in more than one church where I said, just look at your neighbor and sing this song. I love you with the love of the Lord. And you're singing to this like stranger around you. Uh, and, or if you, are with someone you know, you just kind of do it with that person because you don't, it's awkward. So we can sing to one another without looking into one another's eyes and singing semi romantic lyrics to one another in the most awkward, in an awkward fest. So, uh, but having said that, though, the intention behind the guy who told us all to do that, I'm sure his heart was good and he was way more humble than I am, but, but the, the, that's a biblical idea that we address one another. And so with psalms, and you think about the psalms, if you're singing the psalms, there is tremendous teaching and admonishment. It's full of teaching. The psalms are doctrinal statement after doctrinal statement, then response to God based on the doctrine that was just stated. So here's the first reason we sing. I'm trying to build the case for this. Number one, singing teaches us. I believe that's the idea in Colossians 3.16. 100% it's the idea in Ephesians, and 100% it's the idea in the Psalms. Singing, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, the New American Standard, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Songs, teachers, when we sing songs about Christ, his word dwells in us, and we learn. We learn truth about God from singing. That's what the Psalms is all about. And truth strengthens us. It encourages us. If we will think about what we're singing, if while we sing our mind is engaged, we will learn. We will be edified. We will be built up, assuming we're singing songs with truth, biblical truth in them. For four weeks since we started this series, every week I've wanted to mention this book that's had a real impact on me, and I've forgotten every week. But I remembered tonight because I'm reading a quote from it, so I'm sure I would bring it. But it's called True Worshippers. Seeking What Matters to God, written by Bob Coughlin, uh, forward by Matt Redman. Uh, Bob Coughlin is part of a a network of churches. We're part of a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches, and he's the director of uh, worship. I don't know the exact, exact title. I lost it there. But he helps our churches Uh, in the manner of corporate worship, particularly producing music and that sort of thing. So he's written a very good book on this. He will be with us in September. We're hosting in our new building a worship conference for our region of churches and for folks in our city, so very excited about that. But here's a great example of this idea that worship, that singing teaches us. And he's going to quote several songs. He's going to quote, Holy, 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 so I'm going to tell you this ahead of time so you'll know because I'm not going to break and explain. And then he's going to quote, Uh, Blessed uh, Be Your Name by Matt Redmond. And then he's going to quote in what I'm about to read you. Then he's going to quote Before the Throne of God. And then he's going to quote Be Thou My Vision. All four of those songs we sing in this church on a semi-regular basis. So this is what he said. Here's how teaching takes place. When we sing, Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, We're counseling each other that our sins have caused a separation between us and God, that we can't close ourselves. The words you give and take away teach us that whether God brings us to a place of abundance or lack, we still can bless the Lord. With the lyrics, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. We're admonishing each other not to live in condemnation for sins that the Savior has already paid for. That's an admonishment. Don't live there. You're free. We're saying that to one another. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, instructs us in the futility of living for fleeting wealth or the applause of others. Singing is meant to be an educational event. It's true. If you think about the lyrics I just read you, that those are truths that if we will listen and take those in, we will be instructed and built up and edified. Singing teaches us. If you've been a Christian for a while, much of the teaching value of singing is remembering, that it causes us to remember. Here's, here's a, an amazing insight from... Uh, Well, that's, I'm about to bring in insight. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard in a sermon. Here's an amazing insight I'm about to deliver. So be wowed by, by this preaching Uh, that I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to say like, here's a really great point, (laughs) man, I'm going to bring it right here. Um, (laughs) Let me back up. Here's an insight and you see if you think it's very good or not, but uh, Psalm 105, here's what Psalm 105 says. And listen to the parallel. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous deeds. So sing about his deeds. Three verses later, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. So the psalmist is saying, here's a parallel function. Sing what he's done and remember what he's done. So when I say singing teaches us, it's, I, what I don't mean is that you sing, though the eye of sinful man, his glory may not say, wow, I never knew I was a sinner until this moment. I'm not saying like every line is a new teaching, but what I am saying, it causes us to remember truth. A lot of learning, a lot of teaching is being reminded in a new way of things that, that may be true for us. And it's, here's the reality, the way God created this, is that we remember what we sing. Sing the works of God, remember the works of God. We get truth into our minds when we sing it. There's something about the way, and somebody in the room can probably explain this, uh, some biologist or I don't know. Uh, but there's something about the brain that when we put something to music, it sticks with us and it's memorable. That's why the Psalms were a great teaching tool for the people of God as they sang them. The culture gets this. That's why when people advertise, there's a jingle attached with it because you have that in your head. Um, I can remember jingles way longer than I can remember anything else, and sometimes it's annoying because you can't can't get it out of your head. Um, so, so I'm not going to sing a jingle for you. I thought about it, but th- th- let me go on to something that would be more edifying. But a, a jingle, uh, the, the things we sing, we remember things we sing, we remember my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, uh, is in advancing stages of Alzheimer's. And, uh, so she lives in an assisted living center and, uh, because she can't take care of herself. She lives in Louisiana and she can no longer, she's now remembering things that are very familiar. She, her, her husband, Ginger's dad, uh, died a number of years ago, but she was married to him 40, 50 years. I'm not sure. Uh, somewhere in there, she can't remember that she was ever married to him. And now when family members come in, uh, she can still remember Ginger and some of the family, but she can't remember her, uh, the, the grandkids, the sons-in-law. Um, so she, now it's getting where she can't even remember family. But she can sit down at a piano and play and sing the words to Amazing Grace with perfect memory doesn't know that she was married for 40-plus years, but knows the words to, and can play Amazing Grace. We remember what we sing. The Scripture teaches us, and it lodges truths in us. And because songs have a teaching function, it's very important that our songs be truthful the content of the songs we sing do not have a different standard than the content of this sermon that I'm preaching to you. So we don't say, because it teaches us and because we remember it, actually better than this sermon you hear. Because some song you learn tonight, you might know five years from now if you sing it more, but you may not remember the details of what I said. So it teaches and it causes us to remember. So we don't say, we've got a really high standard for the preaching and you it better be in the word and we better be able to see how it's from the word and we believe that you you better be able to tell that or I'm failing so we believe that but same with what we sing what we sing must be true because it is affecting us now the words we sing in songs they may say things poetically I like to talk about poetic license. It may say something poetically, so it's not as exacting um, as a, of a propositional truth as what I'm telling you right now because it's poetic in nature, but it still must be poetry that's discernible to everybody, that everybody didn't walk out, wow, I don't know. I love that music. I have no idea what that image was about birds flying around. But, man, it must have been spiritual because everybody had their eyes closed and were swaying. You know, it can't just be, it can't just be, it's a great song that we all got into, but the content, it's pretty good. How would you feel if the sermon was, I mean, it's pretty true. Like the first 10 minutes were pretty true. The, the second 10 minutes, I don't know. He meant well, and, but I don't think it was true or biblical. You'd say, I'm out of that church. But many of us would be, or I can't say of us, many times Christians are comfortable singing songs that really don't have a biblical focus to them. Because they affect us. Gordon Fee, a New Testament scholar, who's written, I think, maybe the best commentary on 1 Corinthians. I read you a quote from him last week. Gordon Fee said this, Show me a church's songs, and I'll show you their theology. It's true. What the church sings is what the church believes. It's true here. I think our songs reflect uh, what we believe. Now, you may disagree with what we believe, but at least you're going to hear the same thing in the songs that you are in the sermon. Um, because we, we, we take this seriously. That's why when we select songs, we try to be very careful, and the first criterion is always, is it true? We don't start with, is it popular or is it catchy? And it might surprise you to say, I think those are valid categories for evaluating what we sing. Is it popular? Do people know it? Yeah, that would mean we should sing it, but that's a, that's a relevant question to ask is it catchy? I mean, we wouldn't say that. Does it have, does the course have a real hook that stays with you or something? We'd say that. Uh, But I would say, is it memorable? Sure. Is it easy to sing and memorable? That those are questions that are worth asking. But the main question and the primary question and the question that I think God cares most about is, is it true? Does it reflect Jesus and what he did? Is it faithful to him and what he's done? Is it about God or is it about us? That's what really matters because we are shaped by what we are taught and we are taught by what we are saying, what we sing, it matters what we sing. Let me, let me try to say that again. We are shaped by what we are taught and we are taught by what we sing. You're shaped by the messages you hear. Your Christian life, your view of God is shaped by what you take into your mind and listen to and listen to. And, and the same is true with our singing. That's why author Marva Dawn said, shallow music forms shallow people. Shallow d- doesn't mean simple, by the way. A song can be simple and meaningful and true. A song like, uh, so we're not looking for complexity. We're looking for truth, and we're looking for something that has biblical content to it. So uh, a song like Amazing Grace is not complex. It's simple, but it's profound. It's profound. It's profound. So singing teaches us, singing teaches us. We are shaped by what we are taught, and we are taught by what we sing. So it's important that we sing congregationally songs that are true about God. Number two, singing unifies us. It unifies us. Now, there's a better way to say this. I probably should say singing recognizes the unity that we have in Christ. Christ, we are one body. Christ put us, anybody, everyone who believes in Christ has had their sins forgiven, and we are united together. Uh, Look at verse 15. It says, you were, that's the point I was trying to make earlier about the context. You were called in one body. You were called in one body. Ephesians 5 that we read before said, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, addressing one another. So there's a one another aspect to this. We're doing this together with one another, for one another, to edify one another, and we are one body. And so there is a unifying effect of singing. Here's how this works Uh, when the church gathers to sing truths about God. Um, When you are alone, and I do this regularly, when you are alone and you are listening to your favorite worship songs, if if you do that, listen to worship music and you are singing along with it. That's a good practice. I'm not, I will not critique that at all. That is a good practice to listen to worship music and to sing along and to respond with it. But it will that exercise will never accomplish what Colossians 3 is talking about. It can't. Because what Colossians 3 is talking about is coming together in one body. It says we're together in one body, and we are singing to one another. So, we are coming with different backgrounds, different ages. And this is where the music thing's always a challenge in churches. Because you've got people that are 14 years old and you've got people that are 84 years old. And oftentimes they don't listen to the same types of music. Not always, but oftentimes teenagers and seniors are not listening to the same types of music. So, we're coming together with different ages, different races different preferences, different styles. And we're called to come, Colossians says, as one body and sing with one voice, with one passion to one God, the one truth that he is Lord and worshiping him. And that is an amazing thing. That is a work of the gospel. That is unexplainable that people would get in a room and sing together. That's culturally unusual, but that they all wouldn't be, you know, exactly the same, that they all wouldn't be, uh, 15 year olds that like pop music, all singing pop songs, or they all wouldn't be uh, older people that like classical music, listening to classical music or something like this, but they would be people that would Probably if you could pull out everybody's, uh, you know, Spotify or Apple music or whatever you listen to or CDs, if you could pull out everybody's list, everything would be represented here. It wouldn't be like we're all the same, but we're coming together and we're singing with a single voice honoring the Lord, representing uh, him as his people. And that is a powerful thing. And that's what I can't do alone. I can't be lifted up one with one another. I can't sit next to someone or in a row next to someone or three rows over someone who's very different. And we're singing to the same Jesus. And we're here because of Christ. And we might not even be friends if it wasn't for Jesus. But we're here in union together, worshiping the Lord, singing unifies us. Now look what he says. There was different kinds of things they sang. He said, singing Psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So it was singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are those? Well, most commentators who are experts uh, in, in the language say it's probably a little risky to overly define what each of those means because it's not defined in the text. However, generally, you know, it, it could go something like this. First of all, the word psalms means, uh, the word psalms means to pluck, This is interesting. It means to pluck or strike the fingers of a string. To pluck a string. And all the guitarists looked at the piano players and said, Told you so. (laughs) I played a little guitar as a kid. That's why I had to put that in there. It means to pluck. So it could mean, psalms could be songs that are sung with musical accompaniment. It could mean that. Or it could mean the actual psalms of the Bible, likely, it probably means singing the psalms of the Bible and not just musical-accompanied songs. Hymns, therefore, would be songs that are written by humans. They're not in the Bible, but they're written by people uh, to the Lord. And spiritual songs could be uh, songs that are uh, prompted by the Spirit. They could be more spontaneous singing, sort of free singing, spontaneous uh, singing that wasn't you know, perhaps pre-written or pre Planned. It could just be the group singing spontaneously to the Lord, an individual, or something like that. So probably it means when you get together, uh, sing songs from the Bible, sing songs that are true to the Bible but that were humanly written, and have a space for spontaneous singing as well. It probably means something like that. But if you'll notice, those are different kinds of psalms. And I'm speculating, I'll try to tell you when I speculate, I'm speculating here that knowing the human heart, that there was people that probably centered on one of those. You probably had some people in the church that were the Psalms people. Man, let's sing the Bible. Don't we love God? Let's sing the Bible. And somebody else, well, those are old songs. I'm going to sing more. The hymns are things that have been written by humans now. They're not in the Bible, but they're biblical, and they use language that's current. And somebody else, man, you guys, I just want to flow. You guys are so structured. you got Bible people over here and then hymn people. I just want to get my flow on. I just want to spontaneously worship the Lord together or something like this. So there was different songs, speculation over. There was different songs, and he says, sing them all. Sing them all as the people of God. Let me give a word about songs because we all have style preferences And we live in the weirdest time in history as far as I'm concerned because we not only have style preferences, which would have happened in the 80s uh, in worship wars, traditional or new, you know, projected songs or hymns, hymnals, would have happened in the 90s. But now uh, there's worship artists. So people that write worship music now, they play it on the radio, worship songs. And worship bands and worship singers tour and charge money and fill arenas. They're bands. And so it's a different day. So now you don't just like a style, but you like a band. Can we sing some of that band songs? I like that band or that singer or that artist or that writer or whatever it is. So not only do we have stylistic preferences, but some of us have artists that we like um, that often represent churches that we uh, prefer their musical style or something like that. Well, let me. I want to talk about the cate- this category of unity because it is. He says you come in one body and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're a very consumer-driven society, and we're very consumer-driven where we just take our preferences, what we like, and we just skip the song if we don't like it. If you're listening, if my worship is just listening to a uh, a recorded album, I just skip the songs if I don't like them. Um, But we are called to worship the Lord uh, and to focus on the content. So here's a couple secrets. I don't like all our songs. Uh, Wouldn't be my musical preference. I like every word. I like all the words of all our songs. Uh, But it's not as if... uh, the way it works here is that one of the pastors just gives their favorite top 40, and we have to sing those songs. Here's another secret. that the, We have several worship leaders that the worship leaders that lead, they wouldn't say that every song we sing is like one of their favorite songs. They don't pick their top five songs, and we're going to sing those. They sing songs and select songs based on content that will fit into a theme that we're singing. But if you've been playing some of the songs five, six years, do you think it's possible that maybe you're up here playing and you're thinking, Man, I've been doing that since like 2010. Um, Can we do a different song? But they're saying what I realized is that the people in the church haven't been playing that song nonstop for five years. So it's fresh to them and the content is true and it builds worship. So as a, a keyboard player or a singer or a guitarist, I'm here to serve people. So it's not about what my favorite song is to play and I'm here to bring unity. So I want to play that song with joy and engage in those lyrics because the goal, that's a different category. The goal is, how can I participate in the unity of the church? How can I participate uh, in in, in, um, in singing, even if a certain arrangement or a certain song, even if it's like, I'm kind of tired of that one. Or, that's really new one, can we sing a song that I'm more familiar with, something like that. Sometimes we have a concert mentality, where in a concert, I just participate with the songs I really like. So maybe it's an artist. I like some of their songs. Maybe I sit down. Uh, but maybe they play a song I really like, and I jump up. Yes, that's what I came for. That's my song, man. That's my graduating year they sang that song. Those, all those old people are touring still. So that's my tune right there, man. And then the next song, I don't really like that one. I'm going to go to the bathroom because I don't really like that song. I'll be back in a minute. Uh, so I can pick and choose. I can walk out. And you can walk out too, by the way. But I can walk out. I'm here as a consumer. I'm the audience and they're playing for me. But when the church gathers as one body, it says, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you're not the audience. God is. We're singing for him. Where we're, we're, God's not saying, hey, could you please come and evaluate the aesthetics of everything? Because that's what I'm most concerned about. No, God is, is wondering, is my mind connecting with the truth I'm singing? Is it stirring my heart? Am I responding by faith? And even if that particular song is tired to me or that particular song is newer to me, I'm fixing my mind and engaging in the words because here's a new category. It's not, is it for me? Here's a new category. What could I do right now to contribute to the unity of the body in worship? That's a different question. What could I do to express my unity? What could I do to communicate to the audience that I love him? Because God is the audience. So that requires, that is a challenging thing. That requires me to come with a heart set on glorifying the Lord and participating in a way that reflects unity. A way that reflects unity. And we don't have any disunity on this. I don't mean to say it that way. But I know in our hearts, um, this has forever been a topic that people can, uh, can raise questions about singing. Um, we do something each week. If you don't know, but the songs—they're pretty regular about this. The songs are posted that we're going to sing, usually by Thursday on Sunday. So you can go to the city and uh, you know just click, and you'll go to Spotify, and I'll play them for you. You don't have to buy them or anything; it's free. Uh, And play them on uh, Spotify, and we're going to try to get to the place where we can put words up there too, so you can get the words ahead of time. Sing the songs with your kids ahead of time. Read the words ahead of time. If it's an unfamiliar song to you, uh, read them. Think about them, so that when they come, your heart's able to uh, engage in it. Or if you look at the list and the songs, it's a song, a couple songs that you're like, "Oh man, I'm kind of tired of that one." Then you can pray and ask the Lord to help your heart before you show up, before you see it's put up there. So that's a benefit too, right? We can all do that as well. So it's ultimately about our experiencing his presence together, our singing together. And why does this unify? Because we're unified by gathering in Christ, but when we are together and we are singing the same thing, uh, and we're thinking about the same truths and we're expressing the same passion to Christ and we're loving him with our heart together as a people, That's glorious to the Lord. So your voice, your contribution, your participation matters because you're not an audience member at a concert. You are on the stage singing to the Lord. You are the participant. He is the one listening and being glorified. In a secondary way, we sing to one another. That was point one. But we're ultimately singing to him. Number three, singing expresses thanks. Look at what he says. Sing, verse 16, Uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Worship songs can express, uh, psalms express different ideas, different emotions. There are psalms of lament, there are psalms of praise, but a general attitude, whether it's a psalm of lament or a song of praise, the general attitude is ultimately all songs are to be thankful. We have a tone of thankfulness when we sing to the Lord. Um, In the book I recommended to you, he has a great section in there. Actually, there's two chapters on singing. One chapter, I have never read anything like it. It may be out there, but I've never read. it. It's just a list of questions. What do I do if I don't know the songs? What do I do if the... It just goes through. What, everything you can imagine about songs that you may have asked about some worship service you were in. What do you do? I went to a worship service last Sunday, not here. Sunday morning, they sang five songs. I knew one of them. I knew one of them. But I had read the chapter, so I was ready to, what do I do with all these songs I don't know? Uh, so anyway... Um, uh, I got off on this. Oh, but he said in there, he asked a question, he said, to people who feel like they can't sing well, how do I participate if I can't sing? And he's, he said this line I thought was great. The question is not do you have a voice, but do you have a song? And the reality is because God has loved us and saved us and given his life for us, everybody has a song in the room. Everybody has a song to sing because what Jesus has done For us, He has loved us. You have been welcomed into the Father's presence. His Son has bled and died for your sins. He has set His affections on you. He has chosen you from eternity past. He has opened your heart to Him. He has given you new life. He is walking with you until you see Jesus face to face. You have a song, you have a reason to sing. And sometimes the song is a song of lament, it's pouring out our heart in pain and sorrow, and grief, and loss, but you have a song, and ultimately, we can always give thanks in our songs. That, that's why in the Psalms, often you'll read a verse that says something like, sing a new song to the Lord. That's a line that's used a number of times. Why is that? Well, you've got something new to sing about today that you didn't have to sing about last week when we gathered. You've got a week's more of a life, a week more uh, experience of the sustaining grace, the faithfulness of God. If nothing else, you're alive and breathing and you made it. And we love you. And more importantly, He does. So if nothing else, there's that to give thanks for. But really, we recount His faithfulness. We recount His care for us. We recount His grace for us. Our sins are forgiven. And once a week, once again, we come this week, welcome to a throne of grace. So there's always new reasons to thank Him. And so I want to ask myself, do I sing like a thankful person? Have you have encountered really grateful people? you ever really met someone who's really grateful? They express, they look in your eyes, their faces, thank you, I'm so grateful for you. You know what a grateful person is like. So when I sing, do I sing as a thankful person? Because he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, with thankfulness. Would my singing indicate that? If someone saw me sing, would they say, man, she looks grateful within your personality, okay? I mean, it's not ever, some people are more perhaps uh, extravagant in their personality and stuff than others, though everyone is to be passionate uh, for, in their expression of worship, I believe. But if someone saw you would say, man, she looks grateful, would they say, that dude cannot sing a note, but he is thanking Jesus passionately and loudly, And that would be okay. That would be good. That is good. If you can't sing, if you got passion, that's what the Lord is looking for. Would they indicate that? Would would our singing indicate that we really are grateful for what Christ has done for us? Or would our singing indicate familiarity, apathy, entitlement, familiarity, ungratefulness? Or would it come through what's in our hearts? And the way to cultivate that is not to be thinking about thankfulness. It's to be thinking about Jesus. It's not even to be thinking about singing. It's to be thinking about Jesus and what he's done for us. Grace always elicits gratitude. When I'm ungrateful, it's because I've lost a vision for the grace of God towards me. Because when I see what he's done for me in spite of what I deserve, how could I be anything but grateful to him? And that'll bring a song. That'll bring a song. So you don't start with, how thankful am I? What did he say? Is my face thankful? Okay, how do I get a thankful face? You know, don't work on thankful face. Don't work on your countenance. Work on getting a vision of Christ and his grace towards you, and that'll bring thanks to our hearts. And then the thanks in our hearts bubbles over in song. Number four, singing expresses the heart. And we're almost done. Singing expresses the heart. Look what he says. Sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's not just singing words, but it's singing from our heart. I love the way, uh, I'm going to read you another quote here. I love the way John Piper expresses this. Uh, He's a pastor and an author, theologian. He says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. Singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling, and talking will not suffice. There must be singing. We sing with our heart because our heart is where we express our emotion from. And the truth of God is not emotionalism, but there must be a response of the emotion. There are some truths that are so glorious that speaking them is not enough. That, that, that there must be an expression beyond speech, and that is why God gives us singing. Singing expresses the heart. In every culture, singing is the way you express your heart. There, that's why we have love songs. Because the emotion is expressed through song. So when he says sing from your heart, he's saying don't just dryly sing things you believe in your head, but allow it to affect your heart and respond from your soul to God. Lastly, singing is to God. I'm just, I've just walked through this kind of verse by verse, uh, I mean word by word. So singing psalms and hymns, I started with, you know, we, uh, it teaches us. We're singing is teaching, and then we looked at unity, and then we looked at, With thankfulness. And then we looked at in your hearts. And now, lastly, it's singing is to God. So, again, we already made the point. The band is not singing to us, they are accompanying us so that we can sing to God. That is the purpose. He is the audience. And others are a secondary audience. So it's directed by him. It's directed by what he's done. It's directed by uh, his, his love, his grace, his mercy. We are singing to the Father who has adopted us. We are singing to the Son who has bled and died and given his life for us. We are singing to the Spirit who is here present with us tonight. We are singing to God. And so we must sing truth about God to God, we must declare what He's done. We must represent Him truthfully as we sing things about Him and as we sing directly to Him. And that's the thing that the, the kind of concert mentality it's, it's grievous to me because it loses if if it's just a group of people listening to a Christian artist cover band just play the songs you can hear on the radio. So I can sit and listen to that, um, and no nobody intends that. But that is, that that misses that we are gathered to him, for him, singing to his glory and for his honor. We sing because of all he's done for us, and we sing because he sings. Do you know God sings? The Bible says that God sings over us. Look at Zephaniah 3.17, or we'll put it up for you to read. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Before you got here tonight, God was already singing over you. Before you got here tonight, God was already rejoicing over you with gladness. We're to rejoice in him because he's already cherishing us in his son. Christ in with Him, he will quiet us by his love he, he is exulting over us with loud singing that's one reason we sing to him because the God of the universe has brought us to himself and is singing over us it is our privilege it is a distinct honor to do what the rest of the culture doesn't do gather and sing sing to the God who sings over us let's pray You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Frisco dot org.